Hello everyone and welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast episode 7. I'm Anna Brady and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. Hello. Mark Stockley. Hi. And Matt Body. Hello. How's it going guys? Did I outdo you for weird voice? Yeah, I agree. Because really last time you went up there, so you're very, very much posher than you really Where's are. Where's your mum's voice? Life. I don't. Well, I don't know. I wish I did that now. I didn't know how to upstage duck there, so I kind of gave up with doing a high voice. Oh. Yeah. Couldn't have done a low one. Well, there's the next week's voice. <laughs> Metal music. <laughs> what have you been up to this week? What's been going on? I'll start. I am doing a presentation, a live demo of crypto jacking next week in the Netherlands, and I have been practicing. And last night, I managed to become a Monero millionaire in just wow. 20 minutes. When I say a millionaire, I actually mean a millionth heir. I made one millionth of a Monero. How much is a millionth of a Monero? It's one one hundredth of a US cent. <gasps> What Good are you time. planning to do with Good your time. linings? Have you got big plans? Yeah. Well, Amazon yeah. wish list. The interesting thing is that <laughs> if you want to cash out without paying a fee from the system, you have to get to 0.5, half a Monero. I'm a little bit off the pace. I need to up my game. So uh, You need one of those Russian supercomputers. Yeah, petaflop. I, the economics of this web-based crypto mining is kind of interesting. So that's what I'm going to do live. I'm going to do some mining and I'm going to measure the power consumption and I'm going to see how environmentally friendly it is to try and replace ads with crypto jacking on your website. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and how are you planning to measure? Not very. Uh, I'm going to take some eggs and I'm going to try and see how long it takes to fry them on the laptop. I'm not really going to do that. That would be a cool experiment, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I have to give it back. It's a loner laptop. Ah. So I think if I've got bits of fried egg <laughs> glitched in the keys, um, egg you might get into trouble. Mm. End up with egg on your Beans face. to get out. <laughs> Does anyone else want to volunteer anything they've been up to this week? Been teaching salespeople about EDR. Ooh. It's been wild. That sounds pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that EDR stands for Endpoint Detection and Response? I did know that. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that it also stands for event data recorder in the black box of an aeroplane? Which is not black. They're painted bright orange. Are they? Yeah. Well, obviously, if it was black, then it would be very hard to find if you dropped it in the forest. How on earth did they get the name black box? I think because, you know, it's like a gizmo. It's Uh, a cool... Sounds cooler then. (laughs) Mark is bursting to tell us about... I was crypto-jacking. You were training. I mean, those are big things, but Mark... (laughs) What have you been doing this week, Mark? Mark met the monolith. I, I went back in time. Did and you? I communed with uh, Stonehenge. Oh. Which, for anybody who doesn't know where we are recording, it's almost just down the road. For any anybody in the US listening, it's basically just down the road. It's just next But door. if you live in the UK, it's quite far. So it's about two hours' drive away from here. Yeah. But I realised I'd never, I'd never actually been to see Stonehenge. Obviously, I feel like my life is, you know, I know what it looks like and it's all part of the culture, but I'd never actually been to see it. So, yes, I went to see it. And it did not disappoint. So, go and see Stonehenge. Did you not get stu- have you ever been stuck on the road next to Stonehenge in traffic? There's a plan, I've heard, to build a tunnel to take the main road and put in a tunnel underneath. I guess if the people who originally built it were to realise that it had that, still had that much influence, they'd probably be quite chuffed. That would be like finding out that we're all still actually using DOS 1. That, we remember it with fondness. That plan is one of those plans that's been a plan for a very, very long time. That's like Intel trying to replace the uh, 386 plan. 
Let's turn our chat to the week's security news. We had a huge story last week about a scary bug in a free software library called LibSSH. In fact, we did. your article, you called it the bug comically bad. What happened? Well, SSH is short for Secure Shell. It's the way you do remote login and administration and file synchronization with almost every Unix or Linux server in the entire universe. So this got a huge interest because, wow, what if it's a bug in OpenSSH, which is the most widely used implementation? Fortunately, it wasn't. It was a bug in an implementation called, imaginatively, LibSSH, not to be confused with LibSSH2, which isn't the second version of LibSSH, but a completely different product altogether. And fortunately, the bug exists on the server side, and most people who use this LibSSH use it on the client side. But for those people who were affected, the reason I called it comically bad is that basically what you did to trigger the bug, the client pretends it's the server, connects to the server, and says, hello, I just passed all the authentication checks. And the server goes, so you did, and lets you in. So is it the, it's the software equivalent of these are not the droids you're looking for? It's slightly worse than that, I'd say. Now comes the problem of trying to find out which software do you have and which software are you using that might or might not include this buggy library. So on Naked Security, we've got some advice about how you can go about finding all of that out. I was going to say, someone asked on the comment, how, on the comment section how long we think the bug's been around for. Well, my understanding is it, it, it goes back at least two and a half years. So nobody noticed until somebody did a code review and then, wow, it kind of came out in the wash. They realised, ooh, the client can tell the server what to do where normally it's the, supposed to be the server telling the client. So it's been around for ages. As far as we know, nobody else found it and nobody else exploited it, not that we know of. So it does look as though it was one of those things through responsible disclosure uh, that was fixed before any harm could be done. So that's the, that's the good news that came out of all of this. So if I'm thinking about making some sort of authentication mechanism, um, what, what, would, what sort of advice would you give me to look out for these sorts of bugs or, or not be affected by a bug like this in, in something that I'm making? Let's not forget that this was found by a code review. Yes. Peer review of code and then a final review where somebody makes sure that there isn't a slip-up or where you use what these days is normally called a sort of red team, blue team approach where you get somebody who knows about attacking protocols to try and break in by using any trick that they want and if they can get in, that means that a crook could probably figure it out, albeit with more work. And so that's another... I guess, Mark, another side of the coin of code review, isn't it? It's actually reviewing the implementation and actually putting it to the test. Because if you don't hack on your own implementation, you can be sure that the crooks will as soon as it's fielded. Yeah, however you do it, it's amazing what somebody else can find. Yes. So, so one, one programmer, no matter how good, is normally the wrong recipe. And what's your opinion on, on putting your code or your, your piece of software on like an open source vulnerability, uh, vulnerability management site? If you've got an open source project, then you're publishing the code, then it's open for review anyway. Yeah. So you should expect and ideally encourage people to take a look. What you need to be very careful of is don't just go, well, I haven't quite finished this yet, but I'll let the other guys do the work and just kind of throw it over the fence and say, oh, would someone like to look at this? That's not a good idea. You need to get it to the point where you 
think that it is almost ready to go before you ask someone to critique it in the same way that you wouldn't take a load of bullet points and then hand it to somebody saying, what do you think of my essay? Do you think you could provide a few corrections? Because then what you're doing is you're saying, I couldn't be bothered to do the work, you do it for me. Okay, now on to our next subject. The guy in charge of security at WordPress is asking those people who are running an old version of the site to upgrade to a new version. So what's happening is they are wondering what to do about all these very, very old versions of WordPress that are still out there. It's an issue that all mature software runs into at some point. So WordPress is by far the most uh, used website content management system in the world. So about 30% of all websites run WordPress. And an awful lot... So that's not the server, is it? No. It's not the actual web server. It's the thing behind the server that gives the server something to serve. Yeah. So it's the thing that manages the pages and the pictures and the things that you see. Uh, And being extremely popular comes with its own problems. It's all very well to say we've released a new version of the software and it's got all the security patches and all the security fixes in it. But if people don't use it, that doesn't actually improve anyone's security. So what they're, what they're trying to wrestle with and what they've been wrestling with for the last few years is how do you secure users? Uh, so the first place that this led them was to automatic updates. So about five years ago, WordPress introduced automatic security updates. And it was a first for the big content management systems. And I can't think of another content management system for websites that that has automatic updating. The number two and number three in the list would be what? Drupal and Joomla. Yeah, so last time I checked, it's those two in the... It's Joomla, then Drupal. And for those two, if you... When the new version comes out, they'll tell you. But it's up to you to remember to log in and get it and apply the update and check that it's there. And if you don't do anything, you'll just get further and further and further behind on patches. Yeah, so there are hosting companies that'll do that for you. And there are tools that you can use to do that for you. But out of the box where WordPress is different is it will do automatic security bug fixes for you if you don't do anything. So if you just install it, you can switch it off if you want to, which I think is a very good way of doing things because it means, you know, whenever somebody does something like this, the enterprise customers come out and go, this won't work in our environment. Well, you can just switch it off. Yeah. Stop moaning. Do you think people actually these days choose WordPress over the others because of automatic updates? They do if I tell them, you know. If I talk to people about websites... I don't necessarily say choose WordPress because it's got automatic updating, but I do always try to get people to think about how are you going to manage the updates. Yeah. And, of course, one of those options is uh, is quite easy. But actually, one of the other things that I like to talk about is um, covered by the next thing that Aaron Campbell was talking about. So they backport um, security fixes all the way back to version 3.7, which is five years old. So version 3.7 of WordPress was the first version that had automatic updates, And they've decided that if their priority is to keep users secure, that they are going to make sure that any new security fix that comes out, and we're just about to get up to version 5 of WordPress, is backported to every single version of WordPress, up to and including version 3.7, when automatic updates started. So a team of volunteers working on this incredibly popular and widely used piece of software decided that it was going to do this grunt work of backporting security fixes back through all these versions where they knew that the people using them would be automatically updated. So I think that's a a really interesting place for them to have gone. And and the way that he talks about it is he credits that decision to say we're going to secure users rather than software. I have a lot of time for the approach that they're taking. I think it's very brave to take this approach of just backporting 
at the moment, sort of ad infinitum. Yeah. Do you think it's brave or do you think you're actually just making a rod for everybody's back in the end of the day? Why do we have software that works that way? Why don't we have stuff that where we don't have this x.y.z version number? Why don't we have why don't we just have a version number like 100, 101, 102, like say Firefox does or Chrome does? So, but it's about the the risk associated with changing the code, isn't it? So, there are new WordPress versions I think every 6 weeks and each version is is backwards compatible with the previous version. Or the 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 changes tend to be very small, and things tend except not to that break. it isn't backward compatible with. So you get all these changes for three point eight, but they're not necessarily compatible with three point seven. So it's not really backwardly compatible at all, is it? Okay, so what what I mean is the next version of WordPress that comes out, if you update to that version, you will find that though the differences between your current version and that new version are very slight. It's very unlikely that's going to break your website. In the world of content management systems, automatic updating as an idea is still pretty bleeding edge. Would you agree that for people who are using old versions of whatever it is, let's say WordPress, the longer you leave it, the worse it gets, the harder it is to move? The cold hard reality is that it never gets cheaper to fix stuff. If you need to convince your boss about this, it never ever gets cheaper to fix stuff. It's only ever becomes a bigger project. The bigger difference between if you're on 3.7 now and you're looking at upgrading to 5, you've got an enormous leap to take and you're going to have to do an awful lot of testing to make sure nothing breaks. So if I've got an old implementation of WordPress that I haven't looked at in a number of years, how could I check if, which version I'm on and if automatic updates are switched on? Um, so log in to, your, uh, to the uh, admin area of your WordPress uh, installation and uh, look for the big orange icons you'll see big fat orange icons everywhere that you need to update something so if you need to update the core software you'll see one of those if you need to update your plugins god we haven't even got into plugins uh, (laughs) it'll tell you how many plugins you need to update and if you've got themes that are out of date it will tell you that you need to update those as well so if you've got no big orange icons you're either you're either the best in the world or you're so far out of date that you haven't got the orange icons yet could be could be, yeah. If you if you haven't, I mean, in that scenario, if you haven't logged into your WordPress instance for a few years, then you know, brace yourself. If, so, if you've got someone who's doing this for you, hosting a, a WordPress installation yeah. for you, how do you get them to kind of prove to you? I'm making air quotes here that that they're in a good place, rather than just saying, "Yeah, it's all fine." There are no outstanding updates, and the reason is they're on three point six, and there haven't been any updates for five years. So I feel, well, it's the modern vogue, isn't it, is to say, uh, trust and verify. So yeah. when you're talking to your web host, when you're looking for a web host or an agency to manage your website for you, make sure you talk to them about updates and get some idea about how quickly they're going to update it after fixes come out or whether or not they're using some sort of automatic updating process. Uh, we've seen before that um, you know there have been some horrific bugs in web content management systems where automated attacks have come out within two or three hours of patches being released. And, I, and that's where we came in, I think, where WordPress are going with this. It's, it's a very interesting, uh, slightly different take on things. And I'm, I'm enthusiastic to see where this ends up and, and what they do about all these old versions of WordPress. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, seriously. Right. So Cyber Aware is a UK government initiative that we've been writing about this week. This year, the focus is on locking down your email account and... Uh, changing your password on your email account making it nice and strong I guess the idea is that if someone has access to your email account then they have access to a whole load of information about you 
um, given what might be lurking in your inbox. Is that right? Yeah. So, so if you think about what gets sent to you via email, there's 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 lots that's in there. There's a kind of they call it a treasure trove of trove of data. There's e receipts in there. There is um, there there is all of the accounts which you've signed up to, all of the stores which you've visited that are emailing you constantly. Any, per, any well, the e receipts contain the purchases which you've recently made. So, CyberAware have done some research into into what what people are still holding in their email account, and also how secure people's email accounts are. So, they found that thirty percent of Britons use uh, one password for. Every, everything. everything, yeah, including their email. Everything. If someone gets your email account, it's kind of, it's almost like a master key, isn't it? Because yeah. even if you're one of this post-email generation, you live your life on Instagram or Snapchat or WhatsApp or Facebook or whatever, email is probably the key to all the password resets for all those accounts. Reset password now is going to email you with a new password or a password reset option. And it's my understanding that if crooks do get a bunch of email passwords... The first thing I'll do is go into all your other accounts and change the password. So A, they've got access, but B, almost worse, you're locked out. And that means you have to go to each individual account provider and somehow prove who you are to get your account back. And in the meantime, the crooks are you. It's a quick fix to tell your parents, your grandparents, your friends that aren't into cybersecurity themselves, isn't it? To say, this is the one thing that you should focus at, like on, on, like you say. If they sort out the security to their email account, then it, it, it can save them in so many ways if, if, if something goes wrong. So, you know, I've tried doing some of these quick fixes recently. How did it go down? Not quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? How... Uh, I don't know whether this is a UK thing or whether you see it in other countries, but there's a hard core of people here in the UK who are incredibly resistant to the idea of password managers because somehow they think it'll make this whole password business more complicated. They've got a system of password 1, password 45, password 99, which still requires them to remember which suffix goes with which account. A password manager does all that for you and it gives you a strong password and it makes it easier to go and change passwords if there's a compromise. The reason that people think it's going to be harder is actually for an awful lot of people it is harder. It's not difficult to install a password manager. It is much more difficult to install a password manager than just to enter the name of your cat into every password yeah, field that yeah, you ever right. see. Sorry. Oh, crap. Yeah. Someone do it like no, this. No, I think he just rubs his Everybody, leg and goes. <laughs> Everybody down the floor. This, yes. this is perfectly normal behaviour. <laughs> I was sitting in a funny way and I felt the muscle go and I thought, I can get away with it. And then I... Please keep that in. I really oh, hope it I'm going to keep on bringing up the fact that you've had cramp throughout just so <laughs> no, don't to give it, it in. No, I think I said a rude word when it's... Uh, where, where were we before you uh, so rudely interrupted us? In computers, as with everything, old habits die hard. It's just that here, they, the fact that old habits die hard is sadly of great benefit to the crooks. So maybe the idea of this one reset is a good place to start. You've got the same password for everything. At least figure out how you're going to get a decent password for an email account. So I have a question about this one reset. So I struggle with things like this, as we've talked about previously. User education is very, very difficult. It's extremely difficult to get a consistent message out there and to make a difference and get people to behave differently. And when I see things like One Reset, I'm torn because part of me thinks I can completely understand why they've gone for this. They want, they want people out there to get a single idea and it's not the first yeah. year that they've done this. They just, they're desperately saying, how can we move the needle somewhere? 
Let's think of a simple thing that we can get everybody to do. And part of me, I sympathise with that tremendously, that it's let's get something done. And then the other part of me says, this is, this is a great start, but this is nowhere near what people need to be doing. You know, if you, if you know how to make a good, strong password for your email, go and get a good, strong password on everything else that needs a password as well. And install a password manager and go and switch on 2FA everywhere and do all of those things. And by the way, I've just signed you up to hours and hours and hours and hours of additional effort none of which you'll understand the point in. And, you know, you'll want to quit halfway through. And when you've finished, it'll be a bit more difficult and you're still not sure why. Well, those exact points we make at the end of the article we wrote on Naked Security. If you're listening, I urge you to go there. We have put together a very brief reason for exactly those points you made, each and every one of them, which I think should be convincing enough. It's not that hard. And we explain why it's a good idea, why you, you can't have accounts with bogus passwords just because you think they're not important right now they still have some relevance to you and to your lifestyle why you need a different password every single account as you said why not embrace a password manager because you'll thank yourself in the end i admit you know when you first start using 2fa it is kind of annoying because everything takes a little bit longer i think in the long run it's kind of two percent less fun for 98 percent more security Okay, that's about it from us this week. Um, I don't know why I can't just do the wrapping up at the end. I get a bit nervous. Keep that. Keep that. <laughs> it's, you can keep that in if I can. Keep, if you keep in the bit about your cramp. Otherwise, no. Oh, fly through. Um, that's about it from us this week. Please like and subscribe to our podcast um, and review us as well because it helps people find us. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, you can read us on our website, you can subscribe to our newsletter, we're basically everywhere. So go and check us out. Um, Until next time, stay stay secure. secure!